Well, welcome to the Wealthy Trucker Podcast. My name is Eric Neely, and joining me today is Logan Freeman. Logan, how are you, man? Yeah, doing well. Finish the week out strong on this beautiful Friday. It's nice to see a little sunshine, and uh, it always just surprises me, you know, that uh, the sun has such a powerful impact, but it really does. And so just, just enjoying the day, finishing the week out strong, and feeling very blessed, man. Thank you for having me today. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming. So a quick bio on Logan. Logan Freeman is a co-founder and principal at FTW Investments, serves as a chief development officer. Logan has facilitated over $150 million in real estate transactions and has a unique understanding of the needs and wants of sophisticated investors, enabling him to effectively support individuals and organizations along their investment journey. Logan is particularly adept at sourcing off-market properties, with more than 50% of his completed transactions involving off-market properties. Having completed over 125 transactions, Logan has found a reliable process for executing real estate transactions. Logan is an advocate for affordable housing and works closely with many organizations to, in helping to end homelessness in Kansas City yep. and uh, un understanding how to do well by doing good is Logan's motto and has made it his why for doing business. That's exactly Logan right. Holds a, Logan holds a master's degree in business administration from the University of Central Missouri. And really, man, your understanding on doing well by doing good is why you're a perfect fit for the Wealthy Trucker podcast. Because one thing that I very much like to discuss in business and really in life is the four different elements of faith, family, fitness, and finance. And mm -hmm. doing well by doing good, just it just flows in with all of that. So so thanks for coming, man. I appreciate it. And yeah, uh, thanks for having me, man. And I and I agree with you. It's it's uh, for me, faith, family, future, or fitness and future. So we are very close on our four F's, man. And yep. um I saw that and I know that that's really important to you as well. And so I, I wanted to use finance, but I use future because, you know, I'm not sure how much I'll be focused on finance all of my life, right? I, it, to me, you know, I look at it as seasons. And when I look at what Ray Dalio has done as the most successful hedge fund business creator in the country and one of the largest, I would say that you know, his is less financial now, but also very focused on giving future generations kind of education about the finance. And so, you know, I really appreciate um, the giving back perspective. And I think when you, you, you surpass a certain level, you know, uh, another dollar probably is not the most important thing uh, for you. And so, especially when, you know, there's a B behind your net worth. Um, I'm not sure adding another <laughs> another couple dollars on the finance side is super important, but finance is so integral into people's future that I just think that it is a crucial aspect and needs to be on there. So um, I love that our, our four Fs are basically the exact same. Basically, yeah, and, and you're right. It, it is all kind of how you have it, hold it into perspective. And and I have finance on there because it is, like you say, it's an integral element of human life. I mean, yeah, you kind of need it. And I, 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 but I purposefully have it on there last because it's not my focus, and I don't want it to ever be my focus in life. And that's why it's last. So, but you speak right along the same lines as the way I think. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So, hey, man. So obviously you're in the real estate world. That's what your, your bio reading talks about there. But, uh, and you're in the Kansas City area, which is close to my hometown. We're yeah. only a couple hours away from each other. But I want to get to know Mr. Logan Freeman. Because sure. I've, seen, I've seen your posts on LinkedIn. I've, I've talked to you a handful of times. But yeah. I, I've got little hints of your football um, time. But. I don't know a lot about you. So where'd you grow yeah. up, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Jefferson City boy. So I grew up in the capital of Missouri. And, you know, Jefferson City is a fantastic place. It's a nice, small capital city and safe. And, and um, you know, what I always liken it to is, 
you know, the, the book by Carol Dweck, Mindset, and she kind of delineates between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. And I would say that Jefferson City is a little more of the fixed mindset and something ingrained in me never really, um, never really collaborated with that. I always was kind of thinking about, but what about these other people who have maybe elevated themselves? Like what, what if, you know, that was kind of the always the question in my mind, you know, growing up in Jefferson City, I never had the opportunity to really travel too much as a young man. Um, my mom worked two jobs to keep food on the table uh, for us. And so really learned work ethic very early on. Grew up working on farms, throwing hay, doing dishes at catering businesses. Just, you know, started when I was 14 years old. I just turned 32. So, you know, that's 18 years ago, man, which seems kind of kind of crazy to, to think about. But that's the truth, man. I, I really wanted to get started making money as early as I possibly could. And I'm a big guy, so I, I could use my body. And I kind of used that same mentality all through high school and college was, okay, um, how do I take my athletic prowess and, and, and relate that to, um, you know, the financial world. So I received a scholarship to the University of Central Missouri to play collegiate football and, you know, got there and, and thought I was really hot stuff and, and learned that, you know, uh, as an 18 year old, you're playing against 22 year olds that have been at it for a little bit. And, and there's a little bit of different, uh, a different uh, aspect there, but I had the opportunity to have a really great career and really progressed as a, as a young man and as an athlete and a leader. And I learned a lot playing collegiate football and had the opportunity afterwards to um, you know, play in the NFL as an undrafted free agent uh, just briefly. And uh, that didn't work out for me. It was the best thing. One of the best things that happened to me was getting cut and going back to school and finishing my master's uh, degree. And this was a really big turning point in my life because, you know, I was no longer an athlete, right? So my whole identity was shifting, was changing. I had to get a job uh, making 265 cold calls a day just to, to pay my rent and to pay tuition. And um, I learned the value of, of time and being disciplined and focused and um, setting goals. And they were no longer athletic goals, but I also lost 120 pounds in six months. I turned my car to what, like, you know, Zig Ziglar says, the classroom on wheels. And I really started to to read books and listen to podcasts. And that's where not just the physical kind of change happened in me, but really a mental and perspective change was the biggest uh, component to this. And that allowed me to really tap into that what if mentality. And um, that was really crucial for me to develop into the individual that I am now. One big thing that happened when I was finishing up my master's program um, was that my father um, had battled drugs and alcohol his whole entire life. Um, my dad was a 6'3", strapping Native American, you know, hit a golf ball 320 yards, dunk a basketball, you know, all the different things. Well, when he showed up to help me move out of my apartment, he couldn't walk up the stairs. And so I knew something was wrong. Less than three, three, three and a half weeks after that, my dad passed away with complications. And so if you think about it, I was this athlete, and I was no longer an athlete. I lost 120 pounds. I had been going through this, this uh, physical and mental uh, kind of change, identity change in my life. And then I lost my dad. And so like, it was like this confluence of all of these different things that really happened at one time that I used as kind of uh, a mechanism to uh, propel myself in the right direction. And I did not do it alone. I, I did it with God. I did it with mentors and I did it with uh, a lot of a lot of help along the way. But I made a choice that those six months and that choice really has kind of set me up to where um, I am now, which is a married man with two children and um, a growing business in the real estate industry, Eric. So that's kind of the background. Awesome. Well, that's a that's a lot packed into just a, a real quick uh, time frame there. So, yeah, one thing that one thing stands out to me is is the the point in time in which you lost all the weight what uh what was it that brought that on why did you do that well you know I mean I was always packing on a lot of weight to be an offensive lineman um you know in college and you know after you know you get cut and you're not playing anymore you're not eating you know 10 12 15 000 calories a day and working out twice a day so you know I I just thought that you know hey look I 
I want to make sure that I'm healthy. Um, I've never been under, you know, 270 pounds that I can remember. So it was time for me to say, okay, um, you know, let's, let's get your health in order. And that's when I started to, to really, and I found a lot of refuge in, in the gym as well. It gave me a lot of purpose, right. Was, was going there and starting my day with a workout and being disciplined with the food that I was eating as well. So it's a part of control, I think too, that really helped me. And, you know, I think that the setting goal mindset that, um, I want to, I want to achieve this 120 pounds, uh, off in, in six months. Like that was like a pressure thing for me to see how hard I could push myself. And I pushed myself a little too hard, I will say, but, um, you know, I'm not 220 pounds anymore. I'm about 255. So I've put some of that weight back on, but, you know, I think that what I'm, what I'm trying to get at was, you know, I wanted, I wanted to see physical changes in my life so I could kind of reinvent myself. And I did that through, um, you know, losing weight and, and getting healthy. Gotcha. Awesome. That's, it just speaks to your mindset. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at that, that, that you had that desire to, to do that. Cause I could just imagine other people getting cut and losing that dream. If they're, if that was their primary focus, then, then they could potentially be lost. And, right. And you didn't, you, you drove on to achieve more. You had some other focus in your life. I, what, what, what would you say that focus probably was internally? Yeah, man. I mean, I have a burning desire in my life to live out my best version. And I know that when I was playing collegiate football and a little bit afterwards that my focus was not on, you know, the right things. So whenever I say faith, family, fitness, and future, you know, my future was number one and that's what I was focused on. And so uh, I had a mentor say, look, you, you think about your life in legs on a, on a stool, there's typically four legs. And so you need to pick the most, the four most important things in your life and your faith needs to be number one. And I know you don't have a family right now, but I had a mom and I had sisters. And so I, I really focused on my family. And then three, he said, typically it has to do with your health. So I threw fitness in there and then I recalibrated and said, my future is going to be after those three things. And I think the biggest part for me was when he said, if those three things typically are not in line or, or prioritize the right way, you know, your future isn't going to be what you want it to be anyways. And so if you can focus on those three things, the fourth one typically will fall in line. And so, you know, I, again, I didn't do it myself. That was coaching from a, of a, you know, a really, a really experienced man in my life that helped me along the path and, and put me in the right, in the right position and, and uh, set me in the right direction. Yeah, there's uh, no doubt that uh, we need that outside influence. I mean, you witnessed that in football and yeah. any other sports that people play. There's a coach there for a reason. And uh, that's exactly it's, right. It's because he can see the whole picture and guide you, the one individual player, into the direction you need to go. And, and life is no different, no different at all. I'd say utilize yeah. biblical teachings as a coach and, and, pastors in my life as a coach and yep. I, I assume it sounds like you operate in the same type of mindset that uh, that I do in that regard yeah so uh, so your childhood what when when did faith become an element for you did it start in yeah. childhood or college or or where, where did that begin for you yeah, well, I'm a Catholic guy, so ended up, you know, going to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, and and still had faith as a part of my life, uh, you know, in college, would still go to church and things like that, but did not necessarily have my faith as the forefront, and uh, it was just one of those things that I did, right? It was just kind of one of those things that, you know, it's, it's a part of me, but not the part of me. And so I've been challenged the last five or six years to take my faith and say, okay, instead of making it a part, make it the part and, and make everything else around it. And that's a daily challenge, a daily struggle. I've gotten much better about doing that. And it, it provides me direction and, and, and peace and, and all of those different things in my life. But 
um, every single day, I have to say, okay, when am I going to get into the Bible? When am I going to pray? When am I going to do things that are going to help the kingdom instead of just Logan? And, you know, I do a lot of that with my family now. I do a lot of that through the church as well here in Kansas City and other organizations that we're a part of. But my mom did a really good job of instilling faith in me from a very young age. And uh, I always had that identity. I always knew who Jesus was. I always knew what my faith was. And it was always it was always ingrained in me. So I, I owe my mom a lot of that credit uh, from day one, you know, putting us in those schools and and taking us to church every single Sunday. Yeah, that's uh, you and I have a similar background in that regard. But I can tell you for me, uh, growing up, it was always there in front of me. But it took yeah. me until it took me until early adulthood, probably before it. Uh, before I made a mindset shift and started actually focusing on it. So yeah, when, when did that happen for you? Was that college it was or? Right around that time when I got cut from the NFL is, is when I had that same mentor who was, um, you know, not just a life mentor, but a faith mentor for me as well. You know, and he said, you, do you really know your faith? Do you really have a personal relationship with Jesus? And uh, that was the challenge. So that was about six or seven years ago. Uh, maybe even close to eight, uh, when I really started to to dive back in. And, and so I, I picked up a lot of books. I talked to a lot of priests. I talked to a lot of faithful men and women and, um, you know, got my, got my situation kind of straightened out on that front. So, um, you know, that's, that's when that happened to kind of that same time when I was being cut from the NFL. Yeah. So I don't want to gloss over the NFL thing. Did you actually get a chance to play? Or were you just on the Packer squad or what? Yeah, I, I, I made it out to camp and made a few cuts, but never got on the actual playing field, man. So I was out with the Oakland yeah. Raiders. So as, oh, as a Kansas City Chiefs fan, that was uh, one of the harder teams to be a part of. So when they cut me, I said, you know what? Um, just fuels the fire to just not like the Raiders even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> Was it a, a huge desire when you left college to play NFL or was it something you were going to try and, and see what would happen? Yeah, it was more of just kind of a try situation. And my whole goal was to try to get on a practice squad, make the salary for a couple seasons, see what happened and use that money to invest in real estate, believe it or not. Oh, nice. So you had real estate in your mind already in, in college? That's right. Yeah. What, what did you start out studying in college? You know, my undergrad is in hotel and restaurant management. And so I thought I was going to be in the hospitality space and started to work in that space as I was going through college and in high school. And, and um, you know, we kind of realized that, uh, you know, that probably wasn't the right spot for me necessarily. Um, found a few folks through that industry that owned franchises. So thought I may be a franchise owner at some point. And I, I really you know, learn that they own real estate. And yes, franchises are a part of that portfolio, but what's really making them wealthy in the long term is the real estate holdings. And so uh, a lot of those folks that I worked with as owners on the franchise side also were real estate investors. And so um, that's when I really got kind of turned into, you know, thinking about how to own real estate, um, you know, in the long run. I, I'd see them you know, going and talking about their franchises, but they were also talking about their rental properties and these other things that they were doing. And I was like, man, I got to get, I got to get that more into to what I'm focused on as well. So then just started picking up the books, you know, and, and reading them, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, listening to the podcast, the real estate guys, and, and said, you know what, I think this is kind of where I want to take any money that I make and put into it. Uh, I had no idea that it was going to be my full-time endeavor until about five years ago when I was fired from my last job. And when I was fired from my last job, you know, I really kind of said, look, I, I think that I'm, I'm unemployable. I'm a guy that needs to be able to kind of do what I want to do in the way that I want to do it. And I can't be capped for my uh, performance. You know, if I'm going to perform and I'm going to add value, I want to get compensated for that. And, and so if I figured out how to learn the game of real estate while building wealth in real estate. I thought that would be a really good avenue for me uh, to do that because 
a lot of the wealthy individuals that I was meeting with were always talking about their real estate holdings that they had. And maybe not just, just real estate, right? But like it typically was a part of their portfolio, owning hard assets with income streams that are not tied to their, their time. The Wealthy Trucker is sponsored by my friends at Biblical Wealth Solutions. Jared Williams and his team of coaches and financial experts help their clients achieve financial freedom for God's glory. It's true that investing in multifamily and other types of real estate is a proven strategy to build wealth, but of course, there's more to wealth than just how you invest. I've known Jared and his team for a couple of years and have personally chosen to work with Biblical Wealth Solutions to help me be sure that I have a solid foundation of protection, savings, and control, as well as unique investment strategies to help me achieve financial freedom as quickly and successfully as possible. Biblical Wealth Solutions offers coaching, education, and tools to both retirees and working families. Today, they are offering Wealthy Trucker listeners a free one-hour coaching call to show you how to achieve financial freedom more quickly and effectively so that you can have the freedom of time to do all that God has uniquely called you to do. Schedule a free call today at biblicalwealthsolutions.com forward slash wealthy trucker. Again, that's biblicalwealthsolutions.com forward slash wealthy trucker. Now back to the wealthy trucker. And I really liked that idea. And I was like, you know what, I, I want to really understand that. And so five years ago, my wife, you know, the day I got fired said, look, I'm going to support you with whatever you want to do. And I knew that real estate was kind of the avenue that I wanted to go into. And so had the opportunity to um, join a, a firm that had a $50 million fund that they were representing. And uh, we were doing single family homes here in Kansas City, the buy, renovate, re rent out and refinance model, but we were doing it at scale. So we finished that fund about 265 single family homes. And I got a lot of transactions under my belt. When I sat down with the sponsors afterwards, the guys that I was really serving, I learned that they had syndicated uh, the equity into a fund. And I just did not know that that was an option. And so I went back and I started to read more books and go to conferences and listen to more podcasts and kind of figured out that that was the that was the route that I wanted to go. And I needed a team to be able to do that. And so I started to uh, broker uh, a lot of 1031 exchange buyers um, clientele into uh, commercial real estate, shopping centers, and office properties, and then multifamily. And so I was able to, to help a lot of clients you know, complete those transactions. And I did that for about a year and a half while I was trying to figure out you know, who I was going to build this company with. And, um, you know, thankfully found my partners that I have now here at FTW. I'm the F, Freeman, um, but we have Tuck and Webb as well. And it also stands for For the Win. And, you know, back in 2019, right before the COVID uh, pandemic, um, you know, we kind of joined forces and said, okay, let's do this together. And so we started buying some real estate together and then COVID happened and we saw a big window of opportunity to say, okay, I think a lot of people are going to sit on the sidelines right now. Let's go, let's go make a splash, you know. And and so we did, and and now we've got about fourteen hundred units across four states, and and have some other holdings as well. And and the company is, I think, around twenty employees now, and we'll add three or four more this year um, as we continue to grow and and build our team. So that's kind of how the the journey happened after um, you know collegiate football, and then getting fired from my last job. It's amazing to, to look back and see how far you've come, because I would imagine if you think back to when you first started it, could you even imagine being in the position you are today? No, I, I would say probably not. I mean, you, you like to think that you will be, you know, but um, I look back the last couple of years and and some of the things we've accomplished, it was like, wow, you know, that was uh, that took a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. But uh, the timing was right, too. I mean, you know this, but everybody is into real estate now. And so, you know, when people were sitting on the sidelines, um, you know, we made a big bet to say, I think that 
that, that multifamily is going to be just fine. And, and we're going to go take a little bit of risk right now when, when other people are not and uh, buy some assets at some really good prices. And so we were able to get those over the finish line, which was, which was incredible. And, and it really helped kind of build the infrastructure that we have now in regards to what we call our intellectual capital model with, with human capital, relational capital, and then structural capital. And, um, you know, we've been building each one of those buckets up ever since, but, you know, it took some time to kind of do that. Um, but I think that's the, the right, the right way to do it. We saw an opportunity, we seized the opportunity, and now we've been, you know, building uh, the, the systems and, and processes and, and infrastructure that's needed to, to kind of handle those uh, those transactions that we did, and and um, we're not able to necessarily uh, grow at the same capacity right now because you can't let um, money you know you know direct your investment decisions or you won't stick around very long. And so I might be one of the folks out there that's being a little more cautious. I think um, in today's climate, Eric, you and I have looked at a lot of projects together, and it's really tough to make some of the the numbers, you know, work when we're when we're assessing these these assets for the time being. But in this business, you have to be willing to pivot, and you have to be willing to understand the macroeconomic climate and what is presented to you. And if you cannot change your investment thesis or what you're focused on, you're not going to be able to continue to stay relevant. And so, for us, you know, understanding that multifamily is not the only asset class out there we have really started to think about other opportunities that we see in the space um, that, that we do feel like are priced accordingly and um, give us the risk-adjusted returns that we're looking for on these, on these types of properties. And so I think staying um, fluid and being able to pivot in the moment every single year as things change with geopolitics, with the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve, with the capital flows into real estate, you really have to take those three and things into consideration and say, okay, what opportunities are presented at this time and be able to stay true to your underwriting criteria and uh, make really prudent decisions in, in times like this and be able to kind of weather out the storm. And, and I think it's more of a Sam Zell approach of, of you know, being ready when the next buying opportunity does present itself. And the way to be ready is to really have a team and have operational capacity to do that. Um, but that takes a lot of time to build up. And so I think that's where we're, we're focused at right now is looking at other uh, opportunities outside of multifamily and really focused on building the operational capacity up and and uh, when the next opportunity happens, be ready. Not necessarily that I'm you know not buying multifamily. we we absolutely are. But there's opportunities that um, the velocity of opportunities that come that fit the criteria are just a lot different than it was twelve to fifteen months ago. And so I think the definition of insanity is, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And right now it's only gotten harder. And so we've just said, well, what are the other avenues to go into? And uh, we do see some of those opportunities this year and we are capitalizing on some of those. So similar kind of time that I would say back in 2020 when COVID happened, we sat down and, and pivoted from shopping centers to multifamily. It seems to me now it's a good time to shift from multifamily to shopping centers and potentially development, mobile home communities, and things like that. So that's just kind of the thesis that we're operating under right now. And I think there uh, is some valid points to be made uh, for multifamily, as, as many folks know, with supply and demand. Uh, where it is right now, but at the same time, um, there is a margin of safety that we require on some of these assets that just is not apparent and not available in the marketplace right now. And so um, just making sure that just because there's a lot of equity available, that doesn't um, you know, push you in the wrong direction with an investment, I think is very important uh, to evaluate right now. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't make decisions based on the money you have. You you got to make your decisions in order to protect that equity, and that's that's always got to be your number one goal. So if you're not able to 
shift yeah. according to the market, then you're not doing your investors any service there at all. So right. I think it's probably it's probably worth putting a timestamp on this conversation. We're this is what March of 22. Uh, in the middle of the Russian-Ukraine conflict and, and all sorts of economic uncertainty. And so, right. yeah, there's good reason to uh, have your radar up and, and keeping track of market shifts because they happen. I mean, yeah, that's just life. There's always going to be ups and downs in the market, whether it's strictly stock market or real estate. It doesn't matter. Nothing is perfectly flat. One nice thing about the Midwest is it's more flat than other areas. Sure. A big reason why I like this area. And I, I would imagine you're in that same camp, but um, so you said something earlier, you said human capital, relational capital, and there was something else, right? What were those Intellectual capital. That's right. Intellectual capital. I wanted to take that note because it, I don't know, it just struck a note with me that this industry of doing real estate deals, whether it's single family or multifamily or shopping centers, it really doesn't matter. You have relational capital you have to take care of there because this is a relationship-based business. That's and right. You just, you just don't get anywhere without building solid relationships with other people who are already doing it. You know, and I think that's one thing we're saying. If, if anybody out there is wanting to figure out how to get involved or get started, start with developing relationships that's and right i think that's at least for me that was a great way to start um yeah opportunities like do not float out there in thin air opportunities are always attached to people and so the more people that you're adding value to and the more people you're talking to and treating the right way the more opportunities that come your way and so that is a big reason why we make time to do shows like this and meet with people on a regular basis because the business is pairing up capital with deals and you have to have relationships on both sides of those things. You know, and I, I, will, I will say this, this is kind of my thesis around where we're at right now, just from an investing standpoint. And I steal this from Ray Dalio, and he wrote his most recent book, which is talking about the changing world order, where he studied the rise and fall of all major dynasties and world powers and over the last 500 years and found that there's a big cycle. So that's what we're in right now. And this big cycle focuses on three main components, big debt and debt monetization, internal conflicts over wealth and value gaps, and external conflicts you know, most importantly, the rise of a great power to challenge the existing power. And he describes this paradigm or environment that he currently sees us in where the United States is spending a lot more money than it's earning and printing and taxing a lot. Secondly, we have large wealth gaps um, in regards to values and political gaps that are leading to significant internal conflict. And then lastly, you know, potentially being in a decline relative to an emerging great power, which is China. And the last time that we saw this confluence of events was in the 1930, 1945 period through the 1970 and 80s period, which was analogous financially. But and all that said, he wrote this book before Russia invaded Ukraine. And so we have that to add to the mix right now and a global pandemic. And so the main point being here, I think that change is coming. And big change. And in regards to his first point and the printing and monetization, that's created really high inflation and pushed interest rates so low that it caused traditional stores of wealth to be unattractive, causing more dollars chasing yield and propping up asset prices. And additionally, this has caused concern that if interest rates do rise substantially, which a lot of people are talking about right now, what happens? And the question I hear often is, where else am I supposed to put my money? And I mean, I think that real assets tend to be the answer, which leads us to the commercial real estate space. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of capital that was printed. A lot of folks have a lot of capital. And so that's chasing even more opportunities out there, which is not making them as as uh, you know, lucrative as they might have been, or you know, probably more risky in in some scenarios. So that's kind of the 
the three big things that we're tracking on a regular basis and trying to understand um, inside of that big cycle, there will be opportunities. There will be winners and there will be losers. And from an investing standpoint, where can you make sure that you're a winner at? Well, I think it's finding really good sponsors and, and folks that already have that intellectual capital stack that we mentioned. So human, structural, and relational that they can tap, you can tap into as an investor and say, look, if I'm trying to enter the real estate space right now, and I don't have any uh, previous experience, capital, um, you know, knowledge or, or relationships, it's going to be really hard because there's guys like Eric and guys like Logan that are already, you know, in this space. And there's, you know, millions of us um, already in the space doing it. And so I think it's a really good time still to invest in commercial real estate, but you really need to do it with people that are able to bring that intellectual capital model to you and, um, you know, that you can tap into. And, and thankfully from the Jobs Act of 2012, that you really allowed digital marketing, social media to start bringing these private investment opportunities to uh, accredited investors, you can now, which is super interesting. And so, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of research and understanding you know, price to earnings ratios, following Howard Marks and Ray Dalio and all these different investors on what they're thinking about in the marketplace. And, you know, I think that the boom of, of the stock market, even though it has been up to 4,500 or whatever on the S&P 500 recently, you know, that could be, um, you know, uh, this could be the run or the end of that run. And so um, maybe there's an opportunity in the private investment space to, to maybe move some chips over there into that space that's a little more you know, not less uh, widely available to people. So there's less kind of ups and downs. And I think that's what's made kind of uh, our business um, available to other investors and, and really bringing these opportunities to people um, that maybe didn't have that opportunity uh, previously. So kind of a confluence of, you know, a lot of different things, I think that is really propping up kind of the commercial real estate space. But, you know, it's always been a, a safe haven, I guess you could say, in regards to inflation, if you can find a way to lock in good long-term uh, fixed interest rate debt, um, you can kind of hedge against some of this high inflation that we we have been experiencing and I don't think is going to go away. And there's no real soft landing, in my opinion, with the Federal Reserve. I think they're going to have to raise and I think they're going to raise a lot faster and we might see a a situation similar to um, potentially what Paul Volcker had to do. And, and so I, I don't know. I mean, I think that we're watching it. We're trying to stay true to just the investment mandate that we have and um, making sure that we're not, you know, pulling out our crystal ball too much, but really just staying, you know, true to the, the dynamics that we see and, and making good choices. And that's, that's kind of the name of this game. You got to stay in the game, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like I said before, always being willing and able to shift and change strategies. So you said something earlier about uh, using your car as a learning place. And that was kind of the beginning of your yeah. introduction into the, the world of real estate investing. I, once again, I, I, I can uh, relate to that in a big way. Yeah, sure. As, <laughs> as a truck driver, uh, I got a lot of windshield time out on the open highway and that's really where I learned what I know and how I got involved and started in, in multifamily real estate. And in fact, just, just to speak to that for a quick second, that's the reason I am on the road so much is the reason I didn't want to buy a single family and do, and do flips because I didn't have time to do mm -hmm. another job. And if I was going to get into a, some a, a real estate model that was going to replace income for me in a serious way. It was going to have to be multifamily real estate. Yeah. And that's why, that's why that I went down that journey and, uh, and yeah, man, podcasts, audiobooks, you can learn yeah. so much out here. I've said it many times before the, uh, I feel like I've gone to trucker university, but it wasn't to learn anything about trucks. <laughs> That's exactly right, so. man. You're, you, you, you know, you've, you've turned your, your W2 or your job into a gift, which I think is very powerful. And I think that's very important. I mean, I like to have it stack as well. And so every time that I'm on the treadmill or I'm on the rower or whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm walking outside, it's either on the phone, talking with somebody, learning something, 
or uh, listening to the Wall Street Journal or something like that, just to try to to understand what's going on and continue to educate myself. And I think that that is is crucial. I mean, the the learning didn't stop for me after academics. It really that's where it started, you know. And I go back to that that big you know MBA check that I had to write, um, you know, and in, in, in all of that education and. I really do wish that I would have had some of the things that I've learned outside of that in that in that realm. But what it did do and what it did allow me to do was never stop learning. And and I think that's a really important um, you know, perspective to keep, especially as you're in the investing space. You you really have to, to make decisions based on new information on a regular basis. And so the more informed you can be and the more uh, the, the ability to, um, you know, take those decisions or take that information and make informed decisions, I think is really, really important and crucial. So um, I love that uh, you, you've turned it into the trucker university. I think that's pretty wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, where can we even go from there? Uh, it is an interesting, fun world playing around with uh, real estate and you doing it full time. I mean, that's, that's something that I desire to do in a way, although in another way, I, I enjoy driving. I really do. I love it. And uh, I always have these ideas for getting into other business ventures as well. But uh, real estate. It's, it's a tried and true business. Every time I think about, or when we have bought apartments, the, the, the way I process it in my own mind is I'm buying a business is really what it is. And I, and, uh, and I see it more so that way than I do seeing it as buying real estate. Yeah. You know, we're buying an operating apartment complex the goal is to improve efficiencies, make it more profitable. You can relate that to literally any business that there is out there. That's and, exactly right. And for me, that I, I remember that being a, a big mind shift as I was learning this business. And that everybody wants to buy real estate. Well, why? <laughs> so that uh, just one thing that, that pops into my mind when we talk yeah. about real estate. So, um. Shoot, man, where do you want to go from there? What, uh, on a daily basis, and I don't, I'm not necessarily looking for like a daily routine necessarily, unless you want to share that, that's fine. There's a lot of value in a daily routine, but what is your like focus on a daily basis that gets you going? Not necessarily what your job is. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure your job obviously has a, a, a role to play in there, but I don't know. Just give us a snapshot of Logan's brain when you wake up. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that synthesizing is really what I do. And uh, I'll maybe unpack that just a little bit. I think that you, as a business owner, you, you, you now have people, right? And so you become a leader of people and using leverage through people, capital and technology is kind of way that we think about this and to be able to do anything at scale and to do it better you have to rely on those those three things capital technology and people and so i am a big leader of people making sure that our direction our vision is communicated in the right ways to our individuals that are out there talking with either property owners or investors or um, working on marketing in the business. And so making sure that those people are set up correctly to be successful in their day is a number one priority for me because I know if they're set up for success, they're out there representing FTW in the right manner. They have what they need to be successful. That allows me to then go work on other things such as building relationships and finding other opportunities for us to invest in and then also working on a lot of strategy and i would say that for me uh you know on a daily basis it, it's a lot a lot of difference i mean we've got a lot of internal meetings that have to happen to make sure that the people are set up the right way we have to um identify discuss and solve 
challenges that we're going through, either with properties or uh, with individuals. And so that's another big piece of my day. Um, you know, building relationships with investors or property owners, that's really where I spend a lot of my time on is making sure that, you know, I'm bringing in new opportunities. And so, like I mentioned earlier, opportunities are attached to people. And so knowing who's working on what um, in different areas of the country, in Missouri, in Kansas, in the Midwest, is really important for me as well. So, and then then the other part is, is really uh, synthesizing how I can become better as a leader, as a man of faith, as a husband, as a, uh, as a father, because if I focus on those things, then I'm going to become a better businessman. And I think that's really important for me as well. So spend a lot of time um, doing self-development um, in regards to making sure that uh, I'm communicating in a clear, concise, and compelling way. I am, um, you know, inspiring people to do the same. Um, and then, you know, I think we've got, you know, obviously we have two different partners um, outside of myself. And so making sure that us three are working in a cohesive manner and on the right things is really important. So as business owners, it's prioritization. It's making sure that we're delegating and elevating. And then it's also staying in tune with the market and understanding where we need to go. I think those things are kind of in, intertwined in every single um, you know, one of my days, but I, I'm very front facing. So I, I do a lot of, of uh, meetings like this and, and, and a lot of uh, speaking engagements as well. Uh, I'm on the phone quite a bit talking with people. Um, and so I think that uh, my job is to really communicate kind of the vision that we have as a company to other uh, players that can either help us, um, you know, solve a challenge that we're going through or uh, bring new opportunities into our business. So that's that's kind of my day to day, Eric. <laughs> you sum it up like it sounds so simple. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's definitely not simple, but, you know, you, you have to be able to. Um, understand where your sweet spot is, which, you know, is kind of the intersection of your greatest passion and your greatest strength. And um, as an owner of a business, you, you really need to stay in that as much as you can. And so, um, you know, we've got an analyst, I've got investor relations, I've got marketing, I used to do a lot of that stuff myself. And so, you know, we broke out tasks into different buckets, $5 an hour tasks, $100 an hour task, $1,000 an hour task, and $10,000 an hour tasks. And the goal is to get the business owners working in the $10,000 an hour tasks. And if you can do that, if you can identify those, and then you can plan for those and actually get to work in those space, your business is going to be a lot more profitable. What happens a lot of the times is you get bogged down in those five to $100 tasks. And unfortunately, those things do need to happen. They need to be done, but it's not necessarily adding a ton of value into your business. And so making sure you can find the right people to support you that love doing those types of things um, is really important. And that's a part of, of using that leverage that I was talking about earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're, if you're spending your time doing $5 tasks, you're doing a disservice, not only to your employees, but your investors and frankly yourself. That's so, right. Let's keep the priorities straight. So, um, well, before we get off of here, you said a couple of things earlier. You said the word syndicate and the word 1031. And I imagine there's people out there who don't have a clue what you're talking about. So maybe touch on that just a little bit, but tie it together with what you do for people like sure. investors. If somebody yeah. wanted to get involved in, in in the real estate world and get outside of the stock market. What do you do in that regard? How do you, how do you help individuals in that way? Yeah. So I'll start with the 1031 exchanges because I think that that's, you know, that's really important to talk through. So, I mean, we kind of have two big pieces of our business, you know, and the, and the first part of it really, you know, is, is talking about um, somebody who may have been, you know, an accidental real estate investor. And I mean that in the best way possible. They may have inherited a piece of property or, or something from somebody, or they owned a, a piece of property for a business use. And, you know, somebody came and gave an offer and they're like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll sell that. Well, whenever you look to go sell it, then you realize, oh man, uh, this appreciated in a lot of value and I'm going to have a big capital gains tax. And so they start doing research and they start to understand, oh, there's a way to legally defer capital gains taxes through the IRS code section 1031. 
And so, you know, we help folks that have a 1031 exchange. They may have sold something or are getting ready to think about selling a piece of property and say, look, I want to do a, a 1031 exchange, but I don't know how to find a, an investment property. I don't know how to evaluate it. I don't have the team to manage, to put a loan on it or do any construction. And so we kind of step in um, and help a lot of clients that maybe don't live in the Midwest um, get access to those opportunities and then help them along the transaction process. So that's number one uh, on the 1031 exchange side. We do some other regular brokerage services as well, but it's mostly working with 1031 exchange buyers is kind of our niche. And then on the second side of things, you know, we've, we've helped a lot of investors, I think, just get allocation to real estate. So through a syndication model, which, you know, just allows you to pull resources together and then go do something, um, you know, that you wouldn't be able to do because you've got a lot of people kind of involved. And so, that allows us to go bring a 150 unit apartment complex um, that, you know, usually one person's not going to be able to buy um, by themselves. We take all of the ownership in regards to management and finances and the accounting, and we let just passive investors kind of, you know, receive distributions based on that. And so uh, we do all the work, you get all of the benefits of, of allocating to real estate and, and we manage the process. And now you can say you're a real estate investor because you've invested in a syndication. So I think it's a really beautiful thing because you let the people um, that have the experience of knowledge and the relationships that we talked about earlier, um, go find those opportunities, manage those opportunities, um, kind of operate in their sweet spots and you get to get allocation um, in your portfolio, your investment portfolio uh, to those deals. So yeah, we're on the private equity side on the real estate business. We do you know, a lot of apartments, we do shopping centers, office buildings, uh, and mobile home communities. And so um, that's kind of the main part of our business. That's where I spend most of my time on a regular basis is, is talking to investors about the benefits of that, and then trying to, to find more opportunities for us to go acquire and purchase. Awesome. Yeah, the, the syndication model, that's the first thing I learned about when I started getting into real estate. And that's the first way that I got involved is I invested some of my IRA funds into a 1031 or not a, 10, a syndication. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, just like you say, I was able to, at that point say, I invest in real estate. That's right. In fact, it was, it was over a thousand unit portfolio that I was invested in. And when you tell people that they're just like, Whoa, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. It's only $50,000 of my IRA, but, uh, <laughs> yes, it's it's a powerful tool. But beyond that, you learn so much. It's a great first step, in my honest opinion, because you learn the process of rolling over your own money. You learn the process of setting up a self-directed account. And these are things that you're going to need to help your uh, potential investors that are investing in your deals in the future to be able to do. So it's worth every minute of doing it. And beyond that, it's a good, solid investment. I mean, it just really is. Yeah. And I get asked a lot of the times, you know, why would I work with a real estate syndicator? Why not just find deals and invest yourself? And, you know, we kind of look at it like making a home cooked meal versus eating at a top restaurant. There's nothing wrong with eating at home, but you also have to shop for ingredients. You have to cook, serve and clean up. Even if it's a great meal, it can be exhausting to prepare. And at a restaurant, they do all the work for you. You get a long menu of delicious dishes to choose from. You get to relax and enjoy a night out. And that's what it's like to work with a good real estate operator. We do all the work for investors. They stay at home while we travel around the country, finding opportunities for them, doing all the due diligence. And we provide a menu of opportunities so you can pick the right match for your investment goals and for your portfolio. And I think the, the truth of the matter is it's more than just the convenience and selection that you know real estate syndicators provide. When you work in something for years, you realize how there's no substitute for experience and having your head in the game all the time. And that's that's what's really important. You know, folks like you, Eric, folks like us, we do all the research, we study all the data, and then we try to give the best options to choose from. And so that's how we kind of think about, you know, the benefits of, of working with the real estate syndicator. You know, my wife took me out for my birthday dinner last night and she could have, and she did, uh, cooked me a meal previous in the, in the week. But last night was really enjoyable because both of us just got to sit down and look at the menu have a drink or two and then order a delicious meal that we didn't have to cook up, you know, cook up or, or clean up. And I think that's really an interesting way to kind of think about it. 
Yeah, that is an interesting analogy. It, uh, and it works well. Well, I love food, a, so I always relate everything <laughs> back to food. So Absolutely. Good way to do it. Yeah, it's There's no doubt about it. The, doing the active investing work is, it's a lot of work and it's a job. It's a full-time job. So that's, uh, that's why I have a business partner and, and relationships like yourself, because right. I couldn't do it all by myself while I'm out here on the road. There's no, no way it could happen. So, well, hey, man, just to kind of tie things up here, do you have a favorite verse or, or quote or something that you really, that guides you in life? I've got a few. One is I was going to I was going to talk about one, but I'll do the one that's tattooed on my back. And it's Psalm 62 two. the Lord is my rock with him. I will not be greatly shaken. And I think that um, that's really important for me. I got that when I was 15 years, years old. So I, I got that 17 years ago, I think it was, which is kind of crazy to think about. But, you know, I think that if you can keep your faith at the at the forefront and in the center of your life, I, I think that's the most important thing because everything from that usually is directed in the right in the right way. And so that's that's what I'll say. Psalm 62, verse two. Awesome. That's cool. That's just one more connection that you and I can have because I have a Bible verse tattooed on my back as well. There we go. See? <laughs> Isaiah 40:31. Awesome. Man. Wait upon the Lord shall renew up shall renew their strength. <laughs> that's wonderful yeah that is awesome all right and then the final question i ask everybody so imagine this you're in a room packed full of teenagers i like using the teenager analogy because i do the high school ministry at church so i relate to the teenage mindset anyway you're in this room packed full of teenagers and the unthinkable happens you actually have their full attention <laughs> what wealthy piece of advice do you leave them with yeah I, I would say get out of your own way. And what I mean by that is there's typically what holds people back is, is this thing right here. You know, they either have some limiting belief that somebody has told them uh, along their journey in life that that's really kind of what they identify with. And, and you, you heard my story earlier. I mean, going through everything that, that I went through, I mean, um, I have had a great life, but at the same time, there were some things that happened to me that created limiting beliefs that back, you know, seven, eight years ago, I had to, I had to really work through. And so usually it's something that's going on in your own brain that's holding you back from achieving whatever you want to achieve. And if you strive to live the best version of yourself, um, you know, you're going to be able to achieve that, but it's not usually adding something else to your life that's going to make it better. It's typically subtracting the bad things that you're already doing or already holding on to. And so if you can remove those from your life, you'll see everything kind of blossom and open up for you. And that's what I would say. That's great. That'd be great to live by. That's something you apply every day in your life. There's always something you can probably improve upon and take away that's negatively impacting you. So absolutely. Great. Well, hey, man, Logan, it's been an absolute blast. I've, uh, I've learned a lot just by talking to you and, and found more reasons why we should work together. We just yeah. even are even we we're even related in tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If, How uh, cool is that? If somebody wants to get a hold of you, learn more about you, do you have a podcast or do you have, I know you do stuff on LinkedIn. So, so what's the best way for people to, to learn more about you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's a great way. Mr. Kansas City, Logan Freeman, you, you know, you'll see my posts. I usually post once a day. We do have a podcast. Uh, we, we launched the Invest for the Win podcast recently. Uh, you can find all those things at uh, ftwinvestmentsllc.com. We write weekly blogs that go out to our whole list and, and really try to add value on a regular basis. Eric, thank you so much for having me on today, man. I think this is one of the coolest shows. I've never been on an interview uh, or a podcast that uh, somebody interviewed me from their truck. So that is a first <laughs> and a really cool way to do a podcast. So kudos to you, man. Hey, I'm just doing it where I'm comfortable, sitting out here on I-70 in the middle of Kansas. So. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I appreciate it, man. So, well, this is the Wealthy Trucker Podcast. My name is Eric Neely, signing off. This is Eric Neely from the Wealthy Trucker Podcast. Let's talk about your financial wealth for a minute. Are you taking it seriously? 
Do you know what you're invested in? Are your investments properly diversified? Or are you completely exposed to stock market fluctuations? Considering the volatility of the stock market, now is a great time to diversify into real assets. Multifamily real estate or apartment complexes are one of the safest, most stable, reliable assets to invest in. It's why life insurance companies and the ultra-wealthy tend to have multifamily assets in their portfolios. What most people don't know is almost anyone can invest in multifamily. I started investing in multifamily several years ago. It did so well for me that I decided to scale up and buy larger properties by partnering with people just like you. Now you have the opportunity to diversify out of the stock market and start investing in real assets. Real enough that you can drive by them and see just how well they're being taken care of. The awesome thing is, you don't have to get out and pick up the trash or mow the lawn. I take care of that. So if you're ready to invest like the wealthy do, get a hold of me. Visit FebrosCapital.com. That's www.febroscapital.com. Schedule a conversation with me. Let's produce some financial wealth together. This is a wealthy trucker signing off.